But no, I mean, I feel like if we were to jump back into something Star Wars, like to set up for the Ahsoka show, we could go back to Rebels or, or you could look, uh, there's a young adult or there's like a young adult novel. Well, we have done. Um, that's Ahsoka. Philip, it, was, it was so much work when we did Clone Wars. I, I, do you realize that there wasn't any, even anybody listening and I watched like 40 hours of television? It's so much work, Philip. Like, plus, I know Star Wars, and we're going to get into something. Let's get into something new. But, but it's so, it's so good. Rebels is just, so. Re- listen. I'm sure Rebels it's good. I'm is, just saying. It's a wonderful spiritual ex- exploration and a wonderful expansion okay. of the universe. And it's a okay. really cool exploration of what it's like to be a Jedi during the during the Civil War, during the era of the Empire, and small scale rebellion, and all this cool stuff. And it sets up so much about the about the original trilogy, Colin. It's just good, and we need to get into it. I have spoken. Oh, what? You don't I hang spoken. on. That's that's not a thing. You don't get to just say I have spoken. Like, what if I want to do something on the Animorphs? Like. That's an option we could go down. I want to do Animorphs novels, and you're over here just saying, I have spoken, and now I just have to, like, follow that? That that seems bullish to me. Colin, Colin. What? This is the way. Oh, man. This is the way. And this week, um, I never got into that. We are watching The Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) That sound is so good, dude. It's it's so good. Welcome back to I Never Got Into That. The show celebrating all shapes and sizes of fandoms. As always, I'm half of the hosting duo here. I'm Colin, joined as always by my good friend Philip. How are you, Philip? I'm doing well. I'm excited for this one. This is gonna be fun. This this was another daunting one. I, I less so in hours than Clone Wars. But there's something about being behind the curve on Star Wars that sets you at a real feeling of disadvantage. And for some reason, I felt so much pressure on this one. I I think it's also that, I mean, there are times where the Clone Wars is genuinely beautiful and you just can't look away. But there's also a lot of times where you can kind of multitask through the Clone Wars. And the Mandalorian is so pretty in its cinematography that I find it. I find it requires my attention a lot more than than something like the Clone Wars or even like Rebels or the other things that that does. I think we're going to draw a lot of similarities as we discuss the show, but I I am already to start saying that it's similar in that feeling to a Kurosawa film in that yeah. it doesn't demand your attention, but if you don't give it to the show, you're missing out. It's there. Yeah. You should be watching this. Uh, yeah. And it's that that same sense. So so before we we dive, let's do the normal here. What did you know before research for this? What's your exposure to the Mandalorian? Uh, I got on board the Mandalorian. I was not behind the curve. I got on, I got on board the Mandalorian right away. Um, watched it 
as it came out, same thing with the second season. I even watched the book of Boba Fett as it was coming out. Although increasingly as one watches a car wreck. (laughs) I can understand that now that I have also seen the book of Boba Fett. I guess I was, I was at the curve uh, because I started the Mandalorian and then decided that me and the world were going to take a break from each other and didn't keep up with it. (laughs) And when I came back, I don't know. It's just it, everyone else, the hype had kind of died down. And I, I guess when I got out, everyone was like, have you seen Tiger King? And for some reason, I chose that over Mandalorian. <laughs> I, it was a mistake because I wasn't in quarantine and had <laughs> options of things to watch. <laughs> so we uh, I'm glad we did this in this order, though, because I feel like I got a better experience from the Mandalorian after you and this podcast introduced me to the Clone Wars and the the extended oh, yeah. Filoni-verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a lot more of what a Mandalorian is. You get Ahsoka's introduction. You get a lot of, uh, a lot of important stuff with the Mandalorian uh, by, watching, by watching Clone Wars first. Yeah, I would agree. So we'll, uh, we'll just get started in this because we're going to try to stay on time this episode, but we have... Already spent 30 minutes talking before we recorded, and we could go for a whole lot longer. So uh, we're going to, first of all, even before the history, we're going to let you guys know, because it'll probably be a fairly seamless transition. Spoiler alert for everything Mandalorian, season one, season two, and the book of Boba Fett, we will be full discussing here. So consider this your warning. The way we got to here is in 2009, George Lucas started working on a live action television series, and he and a team of writers put together over 50 total scripts, but they could not find a single studio interested in taking on the project, all of them believing it was going to be too expensive to do Star Wars on weekly episodic. Lucas was caught at this weird intersection where, you know, we're at the the start of Game of Thrones. Like, I think golden age of television is beginning. And everyone else went, yeah, but we're not making money like that Mm -hmm. yet. So in 2012, uh, as a big ball of frustration, Lucas sold everything from the Star Wars IP to Disney. Now, Disney feels very differently because... They don't think there can be too much cost if there's profit to be made. So they started making everything Star Wars. While while John Favreau was working on the Lion King live adaptation, he met with Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, that's the only time we should ever mention that that happened uh, on the Ingot Pod. We're we're never going back to the live action Lion King. I'm not getting into that. (laughs) He spoke with Kathleen Kennedy about his desire to work in Star Wars and particularly had the idea of a Western with a Mandalorian as the lead role. Kathleen Kennedy goes, hey, do you remember when in 2008 you went to Skywalker Ranch researching special effects for Iron Man and you met that guy, Dave Filoni? He's basically the one deciding what Mandalorian lore is. You should he is talk the to chosen him. one. <laughs> he is the way. And so 
John Favreau and Dave Filoni came back together. They met, and that was when Filoni said, hey, uh, I've actually been writing several stories because I thought we should do a Mandalorian live action. So with their powers combined, they wrote a Western inspired by the Lone Wolf and Cub Samurai manga and began production for the first important piece of live action Star Wars on the new Disney Plus model, which if you can't make money selling ad space, sell subscriptions instead because you get all of that money. Mm -hmm. And so that got us to uh, November 2018 when Pedro Pascal was confirmed as the actor who would play the then nameless Mandalorian. Dave Filoni uh, it's not necessarily an anecdote, but just in his notes of things he had been working on Star Wars, he has several different books. One of them contained several sketches of what it would have looked like if Yoda was a baby. Because <laughs> we don't know anything about Yoda. So it's like, what if he'd have been him, but just like eight years old version of him or whatever eight is in equivalency for him. So that was to be the story, a Mandalorian and the lone wanderer, samurai, uh, queen of the mountain type aesthetic responsible for the well-being of an innocent but potentially powerful child. And that gets us the Mandalorian. I, I had so much fun with this show. Isn't it great? It's, it's so good. And there's so much to it. It's yeah, set. I, tell me, I love... tell me my setting for anyone listening. What is our specific time? We're post return, post civil war. Yeah, we are. We are post galactic civil war. After return, the empire has fallen, uh, and but the new republic is weak and unstable, and so we're in the outer rim, and the outer rim of the galaxy is back to being the wild west that i guess if we take the original trilogy at face value it kind of never stopped being because yeah tattooing was the wild west the whole time <laughs> yep, uh, yep but we get to visit we get to visit a lot more of the outer rim and see a lot more of the the galactic frontier as it were uh so we're set out on the edge of civilized space uh, during the chaos that follows the collapse of the Imperial government and the death of Palpatine and Vader. And so our, our setup for the pilot pitch is Mandalorians being bounty hunters that essentially by trade, they're kind of mercenary by trade. Yeah. Um, and we meet the Mandalorian. He is affectionately dubbed Mando by most that know him. Um, who is tasked with going and retrieving a parcel for an old Imperial officer and says, this is a very important piece and it's <laughs> deliciously creepy and horrible. Oh, when he, man, the supporting cast of this is so everyone. <laughs> very strong. <laughs> it's, it's everybody. There are so many great uh, appearances in this and so many standout, which Maybe that's easier when your main character never takes off his helmet, mm -hmm. um, 
which was, I'm sure, a daunting task. Pedro Pascal did say that he thought he was playing uh, Boba Fett when he first received the script because he just never takes his helmet off. Uh, And I can Uh, I can definitely understand that. Who's who's in the armor? Colin, because obviously Pedro Pascal is the voice and anytime the helmet comes off, but who's actually in the armor? And this is this is very important. And I am glad you asked that because in season one in particular, the uh, the physical portrayal of Din, spoiler alert, his name is Din Jaren, <laughs> or the Mandalorian is actually done by the stunt actors. Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder. Uh, They rotated doing the physical work. There's only one scene in season one where Pedro Pascal is in the suit. All the rest of it is voice acting directed exclusively by Dave Filoni in post-production. What good physical acting. Ah, boy. Like the, these two guys are, there's a lot of personality in the set of his shoulders, in the tilt of the helmet, in just every little thing. Uh, I mean, you've got a very stoic character, and that that allows for, or that I mean, allows for, that requires a subtlety to a physical performance, especially since we can't have face acting. Like it's not going to be the mm-hmm. tilt of eyebrows and the quirk of the of the smile. Uh, it's got to be in very little things. And I think what's impressive to me about it is you you see it, which means they're obvi- like on a, like a stage play. It means they're obviously exaggerating the movements because you right. can see it even under yeah. even under all the armor. But it doesn't look exaggerated to it's the not audience. done to a caricature standpoint. It's yeah. done as a portrayal. And it's the subtleties in physicality are so good. But I think what's extra special is not just the emoting that these actors do. More importantly, you can tell that the stunt actor is playing them because when the character is in combat or in pain, they react with a believable physicality. When when the Mandalorian gets punched, he takes it the way you can believe the person standing at the bar would take a punch. When he gets yeah. thrown across the room, he lands and covers himself in a way. And it's so hard to explain until you just see it and you go, oh, yeah, that's definitely the Mandalorian getting tossed around there. That's not a stunt actor. And if right. I if I hadn't found out that it was was those two, Brendan and Latif, I would have thought <laughs> that, that it was Pedro doing all his own yeah. stunts because it carries through so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the performance when even carrying into season two when you do have the mask off and when it obviously is Pascal in the, in the armor, uh, it's not noticeably different. The performance mm-hmm. is not noticeably different. And so those actors and Pedro Pascal clearly had to work together with under direction, obviously to develop his physical personality mm-hmm. and all of them portray it. So consistently, yeah. I just think that's really, really impressive. I love the physical acting in this show. I really like the combat in this because the obvious most important thing, especially in season one, I mean, obviously in season two and beyond, you start to get other things that become important. But in season one, it's all about the armor. 
Like it's all about yeah. this Beskar armor. And you have a character. I think the challenge here for a combat choreographer and the thing that impresses me so much is you've got a character who's in something that looks very much like a medieval suit of armor, but he's not fighting with a sword or an axe or any medieval weapon. He's a gunslinger knight. And that's such a bizarre combination. And I think what really impresses me is that most of the fighting, especially in season one, there's a lot more hand to hand in season two, but especially in season one, most of the fighting is at range with blasters. And the thing that makes Din so dangerous and such a fearsome opponent is that he knows absolutely that that armor will take a hit for him. Right. Yeah. And so we see him in fights. His choreography is to put his armor in the position to take the hit. And so a lot of his movement is to put himself in a position so that the blaster bolts take are taken on the chest or on the shoulder or something like that. And then it's move and fight. Um, it doesn't quite go get to like Iron Man levels where it's just, I'm just going to stride through the machine gun fire. Right. right. Uh, because obviously there's gaps and obviously it's still hitting him. The impact is still there. Uh, but he, I mean, we're, this is kind of jumping ahead, but in at the beginning of season two, there's a fight at close range and there's a lot of it. He's, he's, he's moving into punches so that yep. instead of you punching him in the face, he's headbutting your fist with steel. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and people react as though they've punched armor, which I also appreciate. They, right. It, they obviously realize, oh, that was a bad decision. And when he when he crouches after after taking a blow yeah. and seeing that there's blasters raised, he crouches and folds his body in a way that mm-hmm. the gaps in his armor are covered by you know his bracers cover each mm-hmm. side's forearm emptiness at, at the elbow where it's just flesh or he'll, he'll turn his side so that his hip is covered by that same bracer and he'll, he'll fold up into really effectively armored uh, positions. It, you could see him having the same training bot that Luke had firing lasers yeah. and him as a, as a student learning to cover up like that. And it, it's really cool when you see something like costuming, help with character development yeah. and for these actors again, to continue gassing up all these physical performances for them to so completely understand and, and full send into that is so, so exciting. I love the, the vulnerabilities physically and him having to fight with that awareness. Once he gets the jet pack and knowing that the jets are on the back and those are combustible, mm-hmm. those aren't best car coded, That'll right. blow up. We've known this since the movies. And, you know, when when we get to, to the launchers, the fact that they have to bend over to launch the mm-hmm. rockets off of there. But, man, I could nerd out over this all day. It's so, so cool. And the physicality, you could watch the silhouette of most characters in this show and know who was walking on screen. And granted, you may have to watch just their legs because some of their headdresses would give it away (laughs) because we have a lot of recurring alien characters Mm -hmm. Uh, on our way to getting to this combat. The way it happens is Mando accepts the task from creepy old Imperial officer. 
Werner but when he Herzog. finds Werner Herzog, the client, but he finds out when he gets there that the package that he is to pick up and transport is actually a child. And this child whom the fandom dubbed baby Yoda is of the same species as Yoda, which we as star Wars fans can um, immediately identify, but is not old enough to have developed language. He is essentially in a crib, um, which it's star Wars. So of course it levitates, but he's in, he's in a crib and I, I cannot tell you, I think as long as I have owned my television, it has not displayed the subtitle coos as much as it has, because that's the sound <laughs> the baby Yoda makes. He just coos all the time. Uh, and for the reasons of humanity, there is no way that Din can bring himself to completing this mission. And he violates the Mandalorian code and does not complete a job for which he has taken payment. Uh, which Mandalorian is expanded upon is not only a race and a heritage and a way of life, but it is also uh, a form of religion, sometimes to the point of zealotry, which our hero follows. Uh, and they are paid before their task because they always complete their task. And he violates the code, and that is not the way. And uh, so we begin season one, which is an escape season. Now I I will tell you guys listening the same way that I told Philip season one to me interested me because it was building the world, but I was more interested in that than I was the story of season Mm -hmm. one. Uh, I was very much invested in this new star Wars that they were building. It was, you know, Star Wars on the sidelines, important things were still happening, even though the Skywalkers weren't there. And season two, I felt much differently. I was much more invested in the character, but we get a the mercenary for hire trying to stay one step ahead of the old empire. And so we get a, a fun little procedural in there of you need to do this job for me. You need to do that job for this guy in order for us to get you apart for your ship that's broken and that'll move you to the next place. And since you're here and you're refueling, you might as well help us with, with this problem because you are a Mandalorian after all, we'll pay you. And and I really enjoyed it. There's a very firefly feel to season one. That gap. Yep. The ship is barely hanging on. The ship's barely hanging together. In theory, I'm a mercenary, but I'm a mercenary who's started to develop a pretty strong moral code. Mm -hmm. And so when I see the job is wrong, I don't really want to do it. Um, When people ask for help and they can't pay me with proper credits, I'm kind of still inclined to help. Like it's got a very uh, rogue with a, with a moral compass feel to it. Uh, and I it's like, also I like it's that. super it's believable cool. because mm-hmm. we're watching him develop this moral compass. He's clearly someone yeah. who who looked for a direction, and that's what led him to the Mandalorian way. And the fact that he's it was one thing when it was repossessing a ship, or when it was killing someone who had wronged somebody, but. 
this is a baby and you're clearly not a good guy. And I don't want to give yeah. a baby to a bad guy. So right. I, that draws the first gray area. And once you've got moral gray area, that's all you're ever going to have. And he, he winds up ensnared by his own humanity. And I, I really enjoy the fact that the whole season, he's trying to leave the child. He, he yeah. like trying to tell himself that, you know, he, he meets Cara Dune and they have their adventure and he goes, will you keep the kid here? Like, it's not safe with me. They're going to keep chasing me. And he can't do it. It's, it's, it's not in him. He Not only the responsibility of the child and the danger that having the child presents, but he can't do it. He can't abandon this thing that he's grown fond of. And he is given the, the assignment late in the season of the way is for you to act as this child's guardian and treat him as a father. And I love that because star Wars for me, even though it was shown to me by, by my father at a young age is the story of really bad dads and really good father figures. Yeah. Uh, because there's not good dads in, in this series as a whole. And Mando is not given the father figure. He is given the father title. You will live as father. And he's good at it. And when he's bad, mm-hmm. he's still really earnestly trying to be good for and to the child. And it's it's really touching for this, this character behind a mask. I think one of the really strong elements of it is... You know, Star Wars has always been kind of pulp, and so we've just sort of accepted that things about characters are true. You know, we've got all these different little bits about Han Solo in the original trilogy, and we never bothered to explain them. And of course, Disney never bothered to explain them because they didn't need to be explained, yeah. uh, and you didn't really need to explore where he got his name or what the Kessel Run is or any of those things. And so we just sort of ignored those things, and it was fine. Yeah, because who would ever need a Han Solo movie? Because... The mystery is the fun. Yes. Um, And I like that this obviously takes a different approach because it's our main character. And so we want to explore why he feels the way he does about things. But I love how subtly and carefully it's done. Uh, I think one of my favorite bits of this is the evolution of our understanding of his aversion to droids. Our initial thing is he's really put off by the fact that there's this other assassin droid on the on the job with him in the in the first job. Uh, then he has to get the ship repaired, and she's got droids, and he doesn't want droids touching his ship, and all this stuff. And then the droid has been re- the assassin droid has been reprogrammed, and he's really ticked off about that because, as we see through a series of flashbacks, really brief flashbacks that don't overdo it. Mm. Is nice. we see his parents running from battle droids during yeah. the during the Clone Wars and throw him in a cellar and run. And that's that's such a good explanation for why you feel this way. It's so much nicer than like in and it's obviously it's a it's a bit of a payoff to Something, this is why Dave Filoni is amazing um, when he's designing story. It's a bit of a payoff to the bit in A New Hope when they go into the bar in Moss Eisley and the barkeeper is like, 
no droids in here. We don't serve their kind. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, gross, you. Yeah. Uh, but then it's, you know, now it's like, oh, I wonder if that guy was a fought in the Clone Wars and the survivor as well about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It, it's a cool little, little expansion of your understanding of the universe of saying, yeah, this aversion is irrational, but it's also trauma based. So maybe, you know, understand and but we also get to watch the character grow out of it. And I, that's like where that I was headed. Too. Yep. It's not just, yeah, it's not just, I hate droids. It's going to be this funny little thing about me for the remainder of the, of the series. It's going to be, I hate droids. Let me tell you why. And then let me show you why I start to get over it. I think that's really cool. His fear comes from the fact that they don't have the same humanity, which he has struggled with trying to become something similar in knowing Mm -hmm. only the way now he's struggling with, (laughs) there's more than the way there's, there's a right way, wrong way. And maybe those aren't the way. And so, you know, the, the fact that everything is coded into a droid is something scary to him, that they killed his parents because they were set to kill. Uh, he had to destroy that droid the first time because it was going to take the child and nothing was going to stop it. And then the growth, full big spoiler here, like you got three seconds before we dig into this one. Then in the moment of self-sacrifice, not only does the droid save his life, but in order to do so, he removes his helmet. And when, when he protests, the droid tells, he tells the droid, no man can take my helmet off. Mm-hmm. And the droid reassures him by saying, I am no man. And it's, I, I am what and I was made to be. the Witch King. <laughs> wake up Philip wake up <laughs> he blacked out for a Sorry. second <laughs> <laughs> and and heals him saves his life yeah. and him in a healthy and and comfortable way he confronted his trauma he embraced confronting his drama and it saved his life and then that droid goes on to going, well, it doesn't matter if I die. I'm not alive. Like, a, of course, I jump out of a boat and wade through lava in order to With save an you. Arm and the load child. of grenades. <laughs> I love it. So, it's so metal, dude. It's, it's so metal. And speaking save the of, day. Speaking of guest performances, Taika Waititi as IG 11. Oh, yep. I just. Yep. Such a good vocal performance. So good. I mean, which role. you and I should not be ever surprised at the glory, which is Taika Waititi. Yep. Um, he is, he is amazing. It took me a lot of episodes to stop expecting Carl Weathers to tell me how to make a stew. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of you got that. And it was really funny <laughs> if you did. But I do also really, I do also really like him in that role uh, as the the I've just now forgotten his name, but as the bounty as the bounty guild master, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's also another really strong, really strong guest performance because he represents the. Again, it's it's such a great Western trope of 
this is the guy that is unfeeling. He's just, just, just about the money, just about the money, just about the money right up until the moment when it really matters. And then he's not, mm-hmm. then he's, and then he'll do the right thing. It's, yeah. it's the, put a, put a scoundrel against the wall and you'll find the hero um, archetype. And I, I like, I like him in the, I guess the archetypal position of Han Solo in this story. The other season one uh, standout cameo for me is Nick Nolte as Quill, the I have spoken farmer um, (laughs) who basically allows every bit of like ultimate survival because he's there to to help escape at the beginning and to help escape at the end and sacrifices himself for it. It sets up in season one very effectively that we learn the child is force sensitive, force capable. Rather, he's not just sensitive. He uses the force, but he doesn't know what he's doing because regardless of how old a Yoda raced alien actually is, he's essentially like three to six years old by our standards. He is a child and does not know what he's doing. But everyone that this child encounters either wants to steal him and kill him or would die and or kill for him to keep him safe. Uh, Mm -hmm. The child is universally special. Um, And I love that that is set up from so early on. And QEL is so important, important to that in I'm not helping you because you're a Mandalorian. I'm not helping you because you helped me. I'm helping you because you have something important there. Um, and that's that's why the ultimate sacrifice is paid at the end of season one. And then yeah. we we learn at the end of season one that Werner Herzog was not the only former member of the Empire. Villain that- swap. <laughs> that wants the child. In fact, he's not even the scariest of the former Empire members because enter Juan Carlito Esposito. And he's so good. Oh, he's oh, so good. Man, Moff Holy Gideon cow. arrives and they literally kill everything in sight. He comes down and it's <laughs> so scary. In the best Star Wars way, I was, oh, y'all just going to murder everything you see. You just blew up a town full of your people because they weren't good enough. We're bringing in the real ones. His way of threatening is so, it's the perfect kind of menace because it's so calm and matter of fact. Certain. Like, he knows who the people inside are. What he they can do, what they know. Like I, I love him talking to talking to Cara Dune. He's like, but I'm sure former drop soldier Cara Dune will recognize as an e-web cannon. Like he just <laughs> uh, gulp. Man. <laughs> he's oh. so good. And then he dies. Just kidding. Not really. You see him as the final shot. But what a great. Final shot. Yeah, him standing and making the call. The dark saber. The dark saber. Mm, mm. I lost it. I do not lose it at this kind of <laughs> stuff. Usually, like I don't lose it. I like ah, that's that's my big reaction. It's like oh, cool. 
but yeah, I it's true. lost it. <laughs> That's Philip real worked up. <laughs> absolutely lost it when it comes through the hole of his TIE fighter because it was so out of nowhere. There was yeah. nothing that had telegraphed it. And listen, in, we're in the heyday of everything's on streaming, everything Marvel, everything Star Wars. And understandably, they're excited to show off the cool thing. They're so bad at burying the cool twist. Right. Like, you can't watch a trailer because they're going to spoil the cool reveal so that you'll come watch for the cool reveal. This did so well at telling me so little that it I got to enjoy the discovery. And I loved it's- that. Season two did that, too. Uh, in a lot of ways, which I guess season we're two. To now. Here we go, season two. Now, uh, the Mandalorian has settled into a little bit more comfortable day to day life with the child. We're not as urgently on the run, but he learns that there are still Jedi, allegedly, at least still Force users, and that that is where he feels compelled to get the child to for its own safety, return it to, as he says, his own kind, which you can tell there's, there's a weight and a little bit of jealousy in there Mm -hmm. because he didn't get that as a child and he has spent his life looking for it. And now instead of making his own tribe, he's going to find a place to put the child and, and keep him safe. And so season two is still very much an adventure procedural, but this feels a little bit more like the A-team. We are moving around. We're, we're stuck here because we crashed here and we have to help this person in order for us to be able to get the information that we need from her husband type thing. Um, right. Got to smuggle a person so that we can talk to their spy friends. and. I I love I love season two of The Mandalorian and Moff Gideon, meanwhile, is in fact back uh, and very, very and much more in the evil than ever. Yeah. How did he get more evil? Um, so he's such a good villain. Ah, oh, man, he's so good at the su- at the scenery chewing. We also get in my personal humble opinion uh, the best use, and I will stand by this, I will die on this hill, the best use of the Boba Fett armor on Cobb Vanth, portrayed by Timothy yes. Oliphant, uh, a sheriff, a marshal in Mos Pelgo. Uh, see, mm-hmm. see, get it? Yeah, get it? Uh, well, I don't know if you pointing that out was justified. Philip, oh. But, oh, 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 oh. I never watched that show, though. I hear it's great. It's really good. I've only watched a couple of seasons of it. Is it weird that I own four seasons on DVD and I've never seen it? I was trying to follow that up with a reference to Deadwood, where he also plays a a marshal. I'm standing by the bit. The listeners don't think that I've seen that show. This is yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this out so we can can safely do this. Okay. Good. Good. Now we should totally get into it and edit back in now. Okay. By the way, by the way, now go. (laughs) What's Deadwood, Philip? (laughs) You got it. Got it. Is that a reference to something I'm not familiar with, Philip? It totally is, Colin. 
this is content, man. If I wasn't us, I'd listen to us. Uh, and we learn through Cobb Vanth and more importantly, Din's interaction with him, more Mandalorian history, as well as building to the ever expanding roster of people that Din or the child can call on in the future, which is just wonderful world building. It's great yep. catalog expansion. And boy, I sure hope this is the show that capitalizes on that and that doesn't get wasted on another series that will have all these characters in it instead. Spoiler alert for the future. Uh, Fun cameos to call out here uh, at the beginning is uh, Rick Fumiyawa and Dave Filoni play Jib Dodger and Trapper Wolf. Uh, as X-Wing pilots. Old, old X-Wing pilots. Like, yeah. past middle-aged X-Wing pilots. Like, they're... It's... I don't know why that pleased me so much, but it's like, you've got so many... There's so much Star Wars about young, hotshot X-Wing pilots. Nope. And I really like having these old, grizzled cops as X-Wing pilots. Yeah. And then when Paul Sun Hyung Lee... Captain Carson Teva returns and is just like, I don't, I don't really want to do this. This is a lot of paperwork. Like, and then he shows back up in, in uh, Boba Fett after they've built the new speeder. And he's like, I don't want to spend the rest of the day writing out paperwork. Y'all just go like it really, (laughs) it brings another sense of mundanity, which is really special to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. We also get, the live-action introduction of nerd fandom's Supergirl Katie Sackhoff as the live-action oh, Bo-Katan. And, She's, uh, I, I will tell you, both of the... I mean, so we got, we got two Clone War... Oh my, uh, gosh, yeah, we got two Clone Wars female superheroes introduced here in yeah. this season, in Bo-Katan and then in Sokotano. And I think the thing that I sat there and just stared in awe at and the thing that made me love Katie Sackhoff and Rosario Dawson so much just as just as actors is it was really Mm -hmm. obvious to me that they had stared at screens watching the facial expressions of those cartoons for a long time until they could naturally mimic the way the cartoons smiled and tilted their eyebrows and set their bodies. That's just that kind of that kind of I love this and I want it to do to be right is is just really cool to see. There's there's something to be said about the fact that the Mandalorian as a Star Wars fan feels like a hug from the people making it because, you know, especially with Rosaria and Katie you can tell that those two have fully appreciated what being a part of things that mean a lot to fans, how important I that think, is and how special. I think Katie Sackov also marks a, a new precedent in she is the voice actress for Bo-Katan yep. Yep. Uh, getting to play her live. Whereas, whereas Ashley, Ashley Eccleston, um, doesn't get to play Ahsoka because it, it's decided that Rosario Dawson has the, has the better physicality for her. 
um, but did work with Rosario Dawson on the character work. And so it's just, yeah, that it's really cool when actors care enough to become fans of the thing they're making. Yeah. 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 You can tell that this went deeper than research uh, for, and you know, shout out these two ladies in particular, but that is true of this cast. Uh, Everyone tries to fit into there's, there's no performance given here. That's not star Wars. And that's in the best way possible. This feels like star Wars. Uh, Yeah. And, and I simply star Wars in a long time. This is the most invested that I have been in star Wars since the original trilogy. Um, Absolutely. It makes me glad to know the remaining that I do, but this, Oh, this one connected to me. And maybe it's because I'm probably close to the age of Din uh, Mm -hmm. that I'm just like, yeah, dude, I get, I get this. I, your motivations make sense. Your relationships and the way you handle them make sense. All of it just fits and it works. And I, I, I couldn't be happier. One other uh, very special cameo for, I think, most of us uh, is Wing Tao Chow plays Governor Wing. And he is the former executive vice president of Disney Imagineering. He was inducted as a Disney legend in 2019 uh, with John Favreau. He is the person left in charge after Magistrate Elspeth's death. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's just a cool opportunity to, to put these people that make things that will live forever into something that will live forever. I, I have to pause and talk about the episode, the Jedi episode where, where Ahsoka with Ahsoka and the magistrate, mm. there are so many things about that episode that I love. So let's many do this. things. Good thing. You have a I podcast love- where you can do this. <laughs> I love Rosario Dawson as yep. as Ahsoka. Um, that was a fan casting long before this ever existed, and it was just so spot on that it ended up this way. Um, I love Michael Bean <laughs> as I don't know the guy's name, but as as the 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 henchman. Yeah, and partly I love Michael as Bean Lang. because we get to Lang. There we are because we get to see Michael Bean and a bunch of guys dressed as space marines get chased through misty corridors <laughs> by an alien that's slowly killing them one by one. Yeah, little on the nose, but okay. <laughs> like that's man, that's good. And I I love that this episode is an homage in so many ways to Kurosawa. Absolutely. Uh, there are multiple shots that are just shots from Yojimbo recreated mm-hmm. here. The, the framing is so like a Kurosawa film. The, the fight between the magistrate and Ahsoka. It's so good. It's such good choreography. Because Tell me about so the choreography. Because it's so artistic choreography. It's not like, like, there's lots of elements of it where I could watch it and say, uh, well, you opened yourself up there like that. Like, there's lots of places in it where I could criticize it as a sword fight or a spear mm-hmm. fight because it's both. Um, but it's the exact right thing for a film for film choreography, because everything about it tells us something about these characters. Yep. I don't know 
anything about the magistrate, but I want to know more about the magistrate because I watched her fight. Yeah. Where did she learn to do that? Where do you pick up the skills to fight someone with a lightsaber without using a lightsaber? Like what, what life experience caused you to learn that skill? Where did you get that spear in the first place? Um, what is your connection to grand admiral Thrawn? What? Like that is another huge drop where Ahsoka's like, where is grand admiral Thrawn? You're like, ah, um, but the, the pacing of the fight is perfect. The absence of background music. Yeah. So that it's just the sounds of lightsabers hitting the spear, the way the spear reverberates to every touch. The framing, the way they're refl- the reflecting pool as the setting, the fight on the little bridge, um, watching Ahsoka lose one of her lightsabers and having to adjust mid style. Oh, I mid loved fight. that. I loved that. Watching the spear heat up with contact I, with the lightsabers. Oh, when she's holding it two handed in yes. front of her and the saber's just like not penetrating, but the warmth is spreading. Oh, it's so good, dude. Everything about it says something about who the character is and who the and the way they've learned to fight. But I think one of the most intriguing things is I am absolutely certain those people have met before. Yeah, like absolutely. It's it's not 100 percent clear from the dialogue because you get kind of a suggestion of it. But it might be, you know, you could make the argument from just the dialogue that they've encountered each other while Ahsoka has had this town un- single-handedly under siege <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by, being a, one by being a ghost terror. assassin in the world. <laughs> she's so woods. Like, she's playing Assassin's Creed. That's what's happening yes. here. Ahsoka, Ahsoka is playing Assassin's Creed. She's slowly but not completing the mission. <laughs> the, right, through the lieutenants. And now she's finally at the boss fight. But she keeps um, letting the NPCs respawn so she can right. just go back through them. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I played Assassin's Creed that way. Um, <laughs> but I'm absolutely certain they've met before. Like the little pre-fight c- conversation is perfect, but also it doesn't overdo it. It's not. Mm. This is just like that time we met on Triton 3. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that. Nope. And, and I don't necessarily need or want it to ever be explained. No. Yeah. It's the mystery can be the joy. It's perfect world building because it tells us that Din and Grogu have just accidentally wandered into a different story that was also going on the whole time and is going to continue going on after they wander. It's just, it's this tangential impact between his story and her story. I love it. I love it so much. And giving Such credit a, again to that episode. scene, while while you highlighted the absence of it, this is a good opportunity, I think, to talk about how outstanding the music in this was. Oh, my um, gosh. John Favreau is responsible for finding this. Keeping in mind that they were working on The Lion King, he spoke to uh, Donald Glover, Anthony and Joe Russo, and director Ryan Coogler. And all of them said, you should really talk to this composer. I, I think I think you'd like his style. And he met and talked Star Wars with Ludwig Göransson. 
if I mispronounce that, respectful apologies. Uh, he and Ludwig had a conversation that involved them both agreeing that the soul of Star Wars is its music. That is where Star Wars lives. And I, man, do I think they nailed it in this show, dude. Like, the Mandalorian's sound, his signature sound. He does not have an overture. He doesn't have a theme. He has a sound, which is very future western it's got the the old dear near near whistle kind of feel to it it's so strong it's so profound and and when it shows up elsewhere it's so impactful it hits like vader's theme it it hits like ray's theme you know who's there um Mm -hmm. they discussed john williams score and goranson set out with a 70-piece orchestra of Gorenson playing main instruments on recording to create the music, which he would then put through synthesizers to give it a more, quote, futuristic sound than previous Star Wars efforts have had. And I think that that's, that's very special. It really is. I love the sound in this. The music is perfect. It has the right feel of Western without losing any of the spacey Star Wars-ness. Um, just one thing I wanted to call out going back to the fight. I did want to call it the name of the stunt coordinator for please, that please. is, um, is uh, Ryan Watson. Uh, and he designed the fight and then um, adapted the fight because the actress playing the magistrate, Deanna Lee, um, has a background in Filipino martial arts. Oh. And so her fighting style was adjusted to match her own martial arts background. Um, and that that's how the fight comes together is you've got Rosario Dawson's sword training uh, for this mixed with some martial arts stylings. Um, and I think that's what makes, that's one of the things that makes it look so unique is that it's the actress doing the fight really does do like, it's her fighting style. It's this fighting style. She does. So the, the, I never got into that podcast moral and lesson for today is that stunt people are also master storytellers. Uh, and that I have learned to be even more appreciative of that through our friendship of you having taught me to be able to be more, be more critical of my thoughts on a fight rather than I didn't like it or that ah, was great. Why? What did you learn? Where did you go? Where did it take you? And uh, this is this show is is a master class in that we get the climax. Well, we get the yeah. climax of this season with the assault team going after oh. Moff Gideon, who has kidnapped the child and earned Don't our eternal you hatred. Dare! Don't you dare do anything! He's obviously hurting Baby Yoda. Which is and not so an we option. have the ultimate strike team of Cara Dune, uh, Boba Fett, Din Djarin, um, Soka uh, Oh no, yes. no, uh, not Nasoka. Um, oh, I'm getting there. We just had it. It's Katie Sackhoff as Bo Katan. Yep. 
Bo-Katan. Ugh. Yeah. And I've forgotten the name of Bo-Katan's second in command. Oscar um, Reeves. Yeah. Played uh, by and that, WWE Women's Champion Mercedes. That's awesome. Wrestling matters in uh, their 30s. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a great... It's a great climax for a number of reasons. And honestly, as much as it was cool, none of them have to do with, have anything to do with Luke Skywalker. Okay. I'm, I'm conflicted here on the end of season two, because I will tell you, I don't think we discussed this beforehand. That was spoiled for me. It would be hard to be on social media and not have known that Luke showed up. Luke's arrival in the Mandalorian season two and the whisking away of the child was better for me than Darth Vader's appearance at the end of Rogue One. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Here, uh, can I tell you why? Quick sidebar. Yes, can I tell do. you why? Why Darth Vader's entrance is actually really bad. It's really bad for Star Wars because. That is nowhere near the most danger we will see Darth Vader in. However, it is by far the most dangerous that we ever see Darth Vader be. Mm. And that is poor retrofitting of story for me. I see. Okay. Uh, I I can see that. I I get the temptation to make him a badass, Mm. but boy, he does some stuff that if he'd have done later, like... It would have been there would have not been a new hope if he was that Darth Vader and he's that Darth Vader three minutes before a new hope. So (laughs) yeah, that's that's an issue for me as opposed to Mandalorian where we get final form Luke because we just saw Luke hit his final form. I love I love the mirroring of Luke's entrance to the Vader entrance in Rogue One. Yes. Yeah, has to be deliberate. I love. Oh, hundred percent. I love watching Luke just murder those droids. Yeah, uh, it is savagery. It's, it's so it's so good. Um, again, fantastic acting by a stuntman because obviously, yep. Mark Hamill is not <laughs> is not the one doing that. Right. Uh, and but for me, that the things that worked really well about that were, or the big the big fun of that was the moment where Din walks into the room carrying the dark saber and Bo-Katan's reaction. Uh, uh, like she, her Gideon, stomach dropped. He's grinning. Gideon getting the last laugh, getting the literal last laugh is amazing. It's so good. And that's why if you're going to tell someone something's important to you, like yes, Moff Gideon is mine. You explain it. Yeah, you if I don't up. take the saber from his hand, I can't hold it, and I have to hold it because I'm supposed to be in charge of the Tell Din because he don't want more responsibilities. Right? He's you got too like much, Din- people. You feel like at that point, Din would go, oh, okay, change of plans. You go get Moff Gideon, and I'll help take the bridge. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He had Obvi- faith in your I'm- abilities. And here, take this awesome spear. <laughs> yep. Hundred, which I'm also not emotionally invested in. It's just right. metal that I like. That, that's, so, go for it. You, you can give it back to me later. Or I don't not. Need it right now. Alternatively. I have, I, I have so many guns. 
My back is rockets. Did you know that about me? I have missiles for a backpack. I don't, I don't know if we talked about dart this. launcher on my wrist. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a disintegrating rifle. I can I face all the grenades. Fire. Like this, this is really easy for me. We're we're fine. But Worst I actually case really scenario, like. I'm encased in steel, and I can just headbutt him, and he'll die. <laughs> I really like. The performance from Esposito here, though, because he yes, does change so on a dime from his his gloating self-satisfaction to when those battle droids stop beating the yes. door and he goes, oh, if they stop, something's really bad for me. Yeah, for, for not bad. It's bad for me. He's he so is good. Terrified. He's, he's so, so good in that episode. Yes, that's he's, I cannot wait for the day that you get to watch Breaking Bad because he is so, so intensely and deliciously, wonderfully talented. Oh, I, I really enjoyed that. It is. And that'll be your turn to get to watch a bunch of seasons of TV. Before we do a quick skim over uh, Book of Boba Fett, which is the best part of it, is that it's Mandalorian 2.1. I do want to talk about, we usually say what impact was had by a series and well this one's real easy because we're getting a bunch more live action but unsurprisingly because this is lucas arts and disney together the technology is absolutely crazy and i want to tell you about this one piece of tech which was developed for the mandalorian and is currently being used <laughs> lucas arts has partnered with epic games and the Unreal 5 engine. And they have created an ability to digitally display a manipulatable projection of a 3D environment. So the actors stand in front of a 75 foot tall by 35 foot wide by 25 foot deep green screen, which gets projected. So they can see the environment around them. The director's can use a gyroscope to rotate that world, which they see. Are you telling me that they're acting in the holodeck? They are acting in the holodeck. holodeck? Yes. And so then those images exist and all they have to do is take the Unreal 5 engine and paste over the performances that have been recorded and boom, you have it looking that good. That is how they were able to achieve the most challenging part of this was the fact that Baby Yoda is old school puppetry. Mm -hmm. But when your entire set is a green screen, it's really easy to hide a body. (laughs) This technology blows my mind. And this is really one of those things that in order for them to make the Mandalorian, they changed the world of filmmaking as it will be going forward. And this, this is incredible to me. And it's important to know that they put, they partnered with Epic games because they helped Epic developed the unreal engine. Uh, unreal engine five is only now available to the public. And for those of you deep, deep nerding out on this, if you want to look up more on it, the system is called Stagecraft and does have plans, which I love the name. Stagecraft is a wonderful name for this. 
And the intention is that this be something that can be used by filmmakers going forward. They want it to be a non-proprietary. So uh, cool. Yeah. Just, just remarkable influence that Man, this will have this turned into a commercial into a commercial appliance <laughs> just, i'm not gonna need to decorate at all anymore my gonna run D D in a holodeck <laughs> it's gonna be dope it's i'm gonna live inside blade runner and it's gonna be amazing uh so let's wrap this up with as far as the story has taken us at the i never got into that podcast we pride ourselves on finding the best in the things that we get into. Uh, and that's why we are going to be very quick in our conversation on the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I personally, I did not hate watching it. It was not causing me physical pain. I was, my family was never threatened. Uh, but I have seen worse things. That that's fair. That is fair. I have not seen worse things for this podcast of ours, though. This is mm. this is the least I have enjoyed something that we've watched. I'd, I'd rather rewatch. I'd rather play the Demon Slayer two and point five D fighting game than watch Book of Boba Fett again. Uh I don't know. I mean, it has a bright spot in the middle. I really liked. Those two episodes that don't have Boba Fett or any of his characters in it. Uh, otherwise, I'm just not a big fan of <laughs> or dances with the avatar of the Pocahontas of the last samurai in space. Let me make a contrarian argument for you, Colin. Please. I would argue that this is the exact inevitable reality of a show about Boba Fett. For be, to be true to the story of Boba Fett as presented in the movies. Because the story of Boba Fett presented in the movies is of a not very competent bounty hunter uh, with a penchant for disintegrating things and therefore being unable to turn them in, which frankly sounds like an excuse. <laughs> oh no, I totally killed that guy. I just disintegrated him. So you just got to take my word for it. I'd have the paperwork, but my I, dog ate it. Right. I feel like if Darth Vader has to say, and this time, no disintegrations, that suggests that you screwed up last time, not that you're an amazing bounty hunter. Darth Vader also only, paid you like a Mandalorian. You got paid beforehand. And the only the only bounty we see him collect is Han Solo, and he does not capture Han Solo. I would I would just like to point out at this point that your contrarian argument has just has just taken an alternative approach to get to the exact same point of landing, which is this did not need to happen. Oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> this was a bad idea. But I'm saying, and then he got defeated by a blind man mm -hmm. who was in the middle of falling off of the ship. Yeah. And by a blind swing that wasn't actually even targeted at him from Luke. And so couldn't escape I would argue falling this, with a jetpack. Yeah. Th this is a very realistic old man Boba Fett because Boba Fett was never a talented bounty hunter. Nope. He was the coolest looking person in that shot. That's he what he had. Very, going he had for. a very cool costume. Yep. 
Look, if if you love that the in book the title, of Boba Fett, and everyone will watch, <laughs> everyone will listen to this and be angry at me. <laughs> if you love the book of Boba Fett, we genuinely love more that power for to you. you. We yes, love that power for to you, man. Um, I yeah, I'm not I just there couldn't get into. I think I, I was more seriously. I think what was frustrating to me is while watching it, I could imagine so many ways that it could have been awesome. I have never been yeah. a Boba Fett fan. I have never cared about Boba Fett. I have always agreed that his armor was cool, but I have never cared about Boba Fett. And I would have loved just based on where we were at the beginning of this show. I would have loved if Carl Vance continued to carry that armor always and look awesome yep. doing it because Timothy Oliphant is just amazing. And I liked that yep. character, uh, which is not to say that tomorrow Morrison isn't awesome. He is. It, this show just isn't. It could have been so many things. Easy mm-hmm. example of this in the climactic bit. We have the reintroduction of Cad Bane, which is a great, great twist to throw in Cad ah. Bane from the Clone Wars. I seeing his it. hat. I got chills and I was, was so glad so, I had ridden that long. Yeah, it was so exciting. That yeah. almost made it worth it for me. But <laughs> <I> then <laughs> imagine if instead. Instead of Cad Bane shows up, Cad Bane shoots Cobb Vanth, Cad Bane shows up, uh, Boba Fett shoots, shoots Cad Bane, because that's the entirety of Cad Bane's story. Imagine if Cad Bane shows up at the beginning. Imagine if the entire story is the story of two aging gunslingers. Imagine if we used all those flashbacks that didn't really do anything. If we used all those flashbacks to tell the story of why Cad Bane and Boba Fett have this longtime rivalry uh, or perhaps even better of a, of how Cad Bane was a really great bounty hunting mentor to Boba Fett. Mm, and yep. then there's this betrayal or something like that. We set up a, an emotionally resonant rivalry between the two that comes to a head with the two of them finally staring each other down in, a, in the street as it must, as it must end. And commenting on how they're both too old for this. Alternatively, what if, what if he shows up to make people like us go ooh, and then gets killed by a stick? I don't. What, what I if, don't like that. What? Stop. Well, <laughs> this is the way. I have spoken. <laughs> this is what you're getting. Ah! <laughs> we, you know, time like to be alive. I like mine better. for real. Like. As do I, and I wish you would stop improving on things in ways that I know are not impossible, because now I really want to see that. Look, realistically, there was we've discussed already, it was possible for them to make a cool criminal story, uh, even yep. a cool anti-hero story. Yep. Um, I I don't like the fact that we are we are on Din's journey, existing in that gray space of morality. And then Boba Fett, out of all of Star Wars, is the character that we go, you know what? He's a hero because there was no evidence that that was ever true of his family. I mean, I I do D&D and I compare D&D to everything. And so it's like I'm imagining we agreed to run a campaign uh, where we're all going to play kind of devious rogues in the criminal under. We're going to play Blades in the Dark. Yep. Uh, and then someone sits down and says, let me te- let me introduce you to my lawful good paladin. <laughs> Who is a school teacher? 
Right. <laughs> Little House and, on the Prairie. <laughs> and befriends rapscallions running running uh, a Vespa gang. <laughs> oh, a don't! Why would you clean. even? They said there's no. They said that there is no work to be found on the planet, but they have space Vespas that are chrome painted, and they're the only people who have done laundry in recent history. Like, and their hair talking their about. Hair. What are you talking about? Then They're you puppy. brag about how expensive your Android upgrades were for you to become Cyberpunk 2070 Space. <laughs> okay, the, okay, the thread is lost. The thread is lost. Yep. The thread. So let's talk about Din Djarin some more, because yeah, because we get him. We call in the cavalry, and the cavalry is you know what? What if we just took a break and made some Mando episodes? Literally seven episodes and two of them before the thrilling conclusion are literally Din walking in and going, let me get some friends and leaving for two episodes. <laughs> I love it I, so much. I, I got to tell you, the, fr- the thing to me that just spoke to what was wrong with the book of Boba Fett to me, just from a storytelling perspective, is that Din has a has an emotionally resonant arc in this show and Boba Fett doesn't. And the idea, like here's, here's what was so cool to me because in the climactic episode, Din says, this is the way. And that moment made me just, that moment gave me chills. And here's why Mandalorian season one, Din is a follower of the way. Mandalorian season two, we meet Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan unveils to Din in the Greek, tra- uh, the Greek tragic form, tragic formula that actually you're a member of a cult called death watch. Yep. And Din has to reevaluate everything that happened to him ever since he was taken in by the Mandalorians. Life is a lie. Yes. So Din begins to shift away from this. That, idea is confirmed in the first episode of Mandalorian 2.2.5 in the midst of the book of Boba Fett when he is expelled from Mandalorian Ness because he has taken off his helmet, which we should have told Uh, you guys he did to show the child his face and that it was okay that he leave with Luke Skywalker in the the finale. Um, So he's taken off his helmet and he's expelled. And then he comes back having just been kicked out by the only family he's ever had. Lost his he's identity. Standing there, lost his identity, standing there with Boba Fett. Everything's gone wrong. And Boba Fett says, in one of his better moments, you should get out of here. And Din reaches down unbuckles the cover of his blaster of his blaster pistol holster and says, this is the way mm-hmm. he decides, you know what? I don't care if it was a lie. The, the code of honor that I've dedicated myself to is worth dedicating myself to. Even if the people who convinced me of it were bad. He decides to reject Death Watch, sure, but not the not the moral code that he's built on top of their on top of their creed. And that's and just it's something we've heard him say a hundred times. 
but it manages to see manages to say something for the hundred and first time and it means something entirely new. Yeah, it it hits different all of a sudden. It's so and good. I, and in that way, it's really cruel to Tim Morrison to yeah. have Pedro Pascal come in here, do a bit of voice acting, and completely steal your series. Your series. Not the ep- not the scene, not the episode. No. He hijacked the series because we Suddenly, even get that the- moment is what made it worth it. Yeah, yeah, it's why we went on that journey. Not to mention, we get the most Luke Skywalker because mm-hmm. we get to not only see Din after he gets himself a new ship after Razor's Crest has been destroyed. He and uh, Amy Sedaris in a wonderful role. Um, Another contrarian take real quick. I hate the Naboo Starfighter. I'm not a fan. I'm actually not. And it's a terrible bounty hunting tool. It's the it's worst. Like no what can he space. fit on there? What can right? Like it's, it's going the, to be really cool to have in the hangar of his next ship. Like yes, and, it's going to be a cool the, tool to have. And that entire twenty minute se- twenty minute sequence of rebuilding it was just so that he could say "wizard" in a callback <laughs> to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> it was also way more enjoyable than any other random 20 minutes uh, out of anywhere in the rest of the book of Boba. You're not wrong. I would rather I'm watch. I'm sorry, but Din Djarin saying wizard was like the least in character moment that y- you can almost imagine Pedro Pascal in the booth going, really? I, why, why did I say that? You want me to say this? I'm handsome and all, anyway. but why did I say that? He's so handsome. I'm so glad he's under a helmet. I couldn't watch it. Right. <laughs> It's irritating how attractive that man is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is unfair. Um, So we get to see Luke training the child, the child struggling with his training, perhaps even more than young Luke had uh, struggled. And uh, teaching him just like Yoda and making him carry Luke on his back. (laughs) I want that deleted scene. (laughs) Even though a deleted scene would just be a puppet carrying a CGI version, it's still funny to think about. Um, and Din leaves behind a gift for the child, a a shirt of chainmail armor, and uh, says he he needs to leave it to him to make sure he's protected. Because Din, I hope this isn't interpreted weirdly, he can't stop thinking about the child. That's his, that's yeah. his kid. That's his son. And he's worried about his yeah. safety. And uh, after a lot of melodrama, Luke offers the child the decision. You can either take this lightsaber and learn the ways of the Jedi here at my new school that will totally not get mutilated and massacred by a student of mine who's going to embrace the dark side and is also my nephew. After I threaten to murder him in his bed. <laughs> after I try. After I try to murder. It's attempt. Okay. Or. It's totally the dark you, side. That's not self-defense. You can take this symbol of love that your father figure has left for you to let you know that even though you are away at night in shining armor camp, he's thinking about you. And so we learn in the climax of the climactic episode, the child has chosen to return to Din Djarin and life with his father, which lets us deep Star Wars fans go, oh, thank God he's not going to die at the school because that was his fate otherwise. Uh, right. And it means that 
later this year, we get season three of The Mandalorian. Uh, I know we're running short on time, but I do want to pause and say we also get a bunch more Ahsoka at the So school. much more. Yeah. And we get, oh my gosh, the scene. And this is what you were talking about when you were saying how much the Clone Wars added to this. The scene where Ahsoka looks over at Luke and says, you're so much like your dad. I, it's uh, it's so impactful because mm-hmm. we talked about this before we recorded because in canon in on screen outside of Ben Kenobi telling him that there's been no one else making that statement of familial familiarity to Luke and this is why I I love that we see this Luke Skywalker because I hate who Luke Skywalker becomes. And this shows us him becoming him because when Obi-Wan tells him, I knew your dad, Luke was like, Oh, no kidding. Space sword. Oh, you're dead. And that's the end of him learning about his dad. And then he's got Ahsoka here who says something super sentimental and deep like that. And he goes, cool. So you're leaving. All right. Well, I guess, uh, have fun in space then i'm gonna keep robo building my school with these weird centipede robots i've made and and that shows to me that alienation that luke continues to turn deeper and deeper into until we see hollow luke at the very end of everything and it makes so much sense as a stepping stone from return of the jedi to the last jedi but I got to say, there's this part of me that was like, I really loved the Jedi Academy video game. And I really loved Kyle Katarn as the kind of irreverent vice principal of the Jedi Academy in that game where Luke's in here is like Jedi code and Jedi code and Jedi code. <laughs> and then he le- leaves the room and Kyle Katarn's like, OK, let me tell you how it really is. And I kind of wanted <laughs> that episode made me want that for Ahsoka. Ahsoka as the as the cool vice principal of Luke's Jedi Academy in my Star Wars meets community crossover. <laughs> huh, what's this community you speak of? I've never heard of it. I hope they're buying yes. it. Boy, I hope they're buying it. Uh, but no, you are correct. We do get Ahsoka as of the time of us recording this. Uh, we have just started Andor has just had its first episode come out. I have not started yet. I was I haven't either. Uh, Literally having a hard time keeping my eyes open physically, and then I was having to watch Boba Fett. So, uh, feel for me. Feel for me. Um, This has been quite an adventure, though. And uh, we've never said this and not meant it, but to everyone involved with this love letter to a thing that means so much to us and our friends and families... Uh, thank you to everyone involved in this production. And it's a, it, as I hope we have conveyed in this episode from the top down, from the creators, the people who conceptualized, to the stuntmen, to the people that are manning a gyroscope to rotate the scenery. This, this is a mm-hmm. phenomenal accomplishment, and it means a lot. So thank you for, yes. for this piece. Yes. Uh, Philip, you have a, a closing thought you want to get out here? A thank you you want to go through? Uh, I go back to, I just go back to Dave Filoni. Like I, I had really gotten to a point where I didn't much care about Star Wars. 
And I don't remember if I, if I admitted this in our Clone Wars episode, but when I went and saw the Clone Wars movie, when it first came out with a couple of my friends, I was like, that Ahsoka is the worst. <laughs> ha, look at but, you now, grown up. Right. <laughs> I, and I guess it's just the sort of thing where it's like, you have started to fall out of love with something and then somebody who really gets it talks about it and you remember why it's awesome. And right. everything that Dave Filoni has done to star Wars has been that for me. It's kind of over star Wars. And then Dave Filoni comes in and says, no, 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 you're not. Let me show you why, why star Wars is amazing and just hits. Uh, and so I, there's plenty of things that, We've, that Disney has done with Star Wars that have left me a little bit wanting Book of Boba Fett, Solo, that kind of stuff. But Dave Filoni set, shows me that it's still possible to get really awesome Star Wars. Yeah. I do hope that uh, if this happens to be your first episode listening to us, that this does come across uh, with the loving playfulness that it's intended. We do mean that if a thing's not for us, we don't think it has a place. Uh Feel free to let us know on social media if we're wrong about Book of Boba Fett. I would love to hear uh, from someone who who really connected with it. I'm. Yeah. We've said before, and we will we will say again. What a time to be a nerd! Because I would Seriously. rather we have so much Star Wars that we can be picky about it. Uh, I'm right. I'm grateful for everyone that's making this happen for us. Philip, if someone did want to talk to you about their opinions on Star Wars or see what else you do on the internet, where would they find you? Uh, you could find me on on Twitter at Summerhawk86 or more, I guess, sort of officially at the at Laughing Tree Inn on Twitter, where I tweet for a actual play YouTube channel, The Laughing Tree, uh, where we have a D&D live play that you are a part of or actual play. I guess we don't play it live. It's true. Um, called Kyber Shards and it's super fun. You could also hear me playing D&D on a podcast called Eberron Renewed. I have listened uh, to that. And that's all of the places that I can be easily found online. If you want to at me anywhere on socials, I am at sorry BTR. The O is a zero. You can also find me on YouTube at the Game Pass Guru playing through new and maybe hidden gems available on the Microsoft Game Pass for PC and Xbox. Uh, thanks thanks for being my friend and my Star Wars buddy and going through this, dude. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to, to see you all soon. This is the way. Thanks for getting into it with us. spoken.